Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today I will be talking with Dr. Perry Maynard about causes of dizziness after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Dr. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, dysautonomia, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, bringing awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, which is available on Amazon. Additionally, I'm editor-in-chief of The Brain Health Magazine, and you can get a free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And I also invite you to join my private Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today's guest is Dr. Perry Maynard, and Perry is a board-certified chiropractic neurologist that specializes in the management of complex neurological cases, including post-concussive syndrome, vertigo, balance disorders, movement disorders, dysautonomia, and a variety of autoimmune conditions. He also enjoys taking principles from cutting-edge neuroscience and applying it to its sports rehabilitation and overall human performance. Dr. Maynard first became interested in neurological rehab after playing Division I college football for Eastern Illinois University, where he experienced multiple concussions and witnessed friends and teammates suffering without answers or options for treatment. Dr. Maynard began chiropractic school with a strong interest in both clinical neuroscience and sports medicine. Throughout his education, he was fortunate to intern with several neurorehabilitation clinics. Dr. Maynard, welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here today. I think this is a great topic to cover. It is great to be here. Thank you for having me, Amy. And uh, I agree. I think this is a really good topic. Yeah, you know, I think dizziness is one of those things that's really hard to describe as the patient, right? And, like, when the doctor asks you, you know, do you have dizziness? Like, I mean, just going in, like, for my regular checkup, do you have any dizziness? And I, I've stopped saying anything now. But, but you know, it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> well, can you describe the dizziness? Um, uh, I just feel off, right? Like, not everybody mm-hmm. has 
spinning room. Like you feel like you're going to throw up because the room is violently spinning dizziness. Dizziness can feel like rocking or unbalanced or, you know, there's, there's so many others that we can go into. Um, so I'm really interested to hear ways that you have heard dizziness explained from patients. Yeah, I think that's a great point because part of it, like you said, it's sometimes helping to guide patients into what they're really feeling. You know, like you said, um, people describe it differently or they may feel like it's dizziness when really it may be a, uh, a brain fog or something like that. You know, so like mm-hmm. you said, traditionally, traditionally vertigo is classically defined as you spinning or the world spinning. And so you'll have patients all the time come in and say, you know, you know, I have vertigo. I had a patient like this the other day. And really what they were trying to explain or what it appeared to be is, you know, when they would quickly kind of move their head, they felt like something was just kind of rattling, you know, in their, in their noggin. And, and they would say, well, I have vertigo. And it was like, well, that, that doesn't seem like classic vertigo, right? And this is really important because mm-hmm. certain things will cause certain symptoms. So true vertigo, you know, the way someone describes their disequilibrium or their dizziness can really help to guide you. So like you said, is someone spinning? Do they feel like they are bobbing up and down on a boat? Do they feel like they are floating? Do they feel like they are rocking, translating? Do they just not feel connected to their self, right? So this can give us window into different parts of the inner ear that may be affected. So we know with vertigo, traditionally, vertigo is occurring because there's, there's a deficit a lot of times within the inner ear, and so the eyes are actually moving. So say someone has a, an acute inner ear infection, and something attacks one of the inner ear nerves, and that system goes down. What you'll commonly see is a patient will develop what's called a nystagmus, which is where the eyes will drift towards the ear that is not working, and they'll quickly move back to the ear that is working. And it's that drift giving you the perception that the world is going the opposite direction. It will give you the sensation of spinning. Now, you can have individuals with central forms of vertigo that can have sensations of spinning. But classically, that's kind of what vertigo is based off of, is actually your eyes are moving, which are giving you a perception that the world is moving, versus if I feel like I am floating upward versus translating backwards or forwards, I start thinking, well, what's going on with the sensors of the inner ear that detect up and down motion? versus forward and backwards motion. Uh, What's going on with those versus somebody who says, I just feel disconnected with my thoughts. That could be something cognitively occurring. Um, You know, and lastly, too, is this idea of I get lightheaded when I change positions Uh, or when I move, uh which very much can be inner ear related or the way the brain is interpreting changes in motion but it also can be vascular. So how well am I keeping stable blood pressure to my brain as I change positions in gravity? So that's where, like you said, descriptors are really important, and and it's hard for patients. People don't really know, and so the job of a good clinician or doctor is to help them understand 
what they may be experiencing by asking appropriate questions. And you'll find a lot of times people be like, oh, yeah, that's what that is. I, I didn't really know how to put words to it, but now that you gave me a descriptor, that makes more sense of, of what is occurring. Uh, and so description in history when someone that has dizziness is so, so key, um, you know, of how do they describe it, but then also how long does it last? Does it last all day? Does it come and go? Um, you know, time frame, and then also what things make it better and worse? Is it worse when I am sitting still, or is it only worse when I'm standing up moving? All these things are really, really helpful to give us an idea before even assessing the patient. We should have a decent idea of where this is coming from. And then the whole point of an examination is to prove or disprove your hypothesis of where it's coming from. You know, and far too often people just hear dizziness and they just lump everyone into the, the same category. You know, you and I have chatted about that. Um, you know, must be uh, BPPV, crystals in the ear. Here's the, the you know, same maneuver for everyone. Um, so, yeah, the history and how someone describes it is, is very important. Yeah, and I, I just kind of want to touch on the term vertigo. And I feel like it's a very similar category, like um, the use of migraine. Like everybody just throws their headache symptoms into the category of migraine. I have a migraine. Well, but do you really have a migraine, right? Like yep. migraine is a very specific mm -hmm type of headache. And so I think that's what happens with the term vertigo is, you know, they're dizzy and they don't know how else to express that or they just feel, and so they, it's just vertigo. Um, and whereas vertigo also is, you know, more of a specific type of dizziness. Um, so I think that's important for people to just, you know, kind of understand that those terms aren't it's a catch-all for a lot of people, even though that's not really what the terms are, right? Um, yeah. And then, you, you, that's a, that's yeah. actually a great example with the, with the migraine and headaches because, um, yeah, far too often those things get mislabeled. And, and it is important. The better we can yeah. have an idea and recognize, the better we understand what causes that to occur so you can get the right treatment. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um, and I want to take a moment to talk about BPPV. Um, I don't I always remember, benign positional something vertigo. What's the other P? <laughs> so, so it stands for benign, so it's not going to kill you. Uh, paroxysmal, it comes and it goes. Positional, it usually only occurs when there's positional changes, but we can chat in a second that that's not always true. Mm -hmm. uh, and then vertigo. Traditionally, these individuals will get a sensation of them spinning or the world is spinning. Once again, I am going to make the argument that that is not always true, and I have treated quite a bit of patients, um, you know, for – subtle underlying things where that really was the cause. And, and the big reason it got missed was because it didn't line up with what the textbook had to say. And that's one of the big problems is that, you know, practitioners are like, well, in the textbook in school, I was taught that this only occurs when someone rolls over in bed and it lasts this long. And although that's true, um, I have seen many, many patients where, 
they may just say, I feel like I'm floating when I walk. And you end up finding that they have a subtle little bit of BVBV and you treat it and they get better. Um, so it, it's just, it's important to get the full thorough, thorough workup. But yes, that's yeah. what it stands for is um, come and go. And then usually it is when people change positions. And BPPV is typically the crystals in the inner ear have moved, correct? Correct, yes. So the, the kind of hypothesis, and it's kind of interesting because there is more info coming out that maybe something else is going on. But, yes, so if you look at the anatomy of the inner ear, you have semicircular canals. You have three on both sides. And those pick up different angles of motion, so rotation, forward motion, backward motion. And then you have what's called the vestibule, which is where you have other centers, um, where the, kind of like the otolithic system lives, where you have um, – and, and the way those centers work is, if you think about it, you have hair cells, and then you have this gelatinous bed that sits on top. And within that gelatinous bed is what is called otoconia, which are calcium – carbonate crystals, and those help to weigh down so that as you move, it helps to deflect the hair cells. And, and the theories and the ideas is that there is either degeneration or a traumatic event that causes those crystals to break loose from um, that system and then float into my semicircular canal where it shouldn't be. And so the problem is, is that when I move, fluid drags and moves in my inner ear, and it bends hair cells. And that's what kind of mm. gives me an idea of acceleration, deceleration, how I'm moving. And I'm used to my endolymph, which is the fluid in my inner ear, to be a certain density. And now if I also have like crystals or this sludge in my semicircular canal, you can now see that the density is very different. And so when I go to move, the signal doesn't match what has been occurring for, let's say, you know, 50 years of my life, and now all of a sudden the brain's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, and that's where you get the, the, the motion of the eyes because it's like someone's pressing on the gas once you've stopped moving. And so mm -hmm. what's really interesting is that traditionally, you know, we use certain maneuvers, right? The Epley maneuver is the most popular, but there's a ton of maneuvers now for all different forms, but the idea is that you relocate the crystal. And the maneuvers work, and they work pretty dang well. But what's interesting is, is that there are some autopsy studies on individuals with BPPV who were treated, treated successfully, became, became asymptomatic, and on autopsy still had otoconia and still had debris in there. And so mm. it was kind of like, huh, is that actually happening or – are we doing something more on a central brain level to retrain the ear? It, it might not be as clear as we thought. So it, that's actually kind of an yeah. interesting topic because it's thought of as a very simplistic thing when really it's appearing to be a, maybe a little bit more complex. Well, and, and that's where I kind of wanted to go. And <laughs> what I'm saying now might be obsolete, um, but true BPPV, um, people with the crystals moving in their ears, typically is resolved from the Epley or other maneuvers within just like one or two treatments. Because I, yeah, yeah, I yep, that's personally, true. 
I personally was told I had BPPV. They did that aptly on me. I don't even know how many times, Perry. <laughs> and they did nothing. It didn't even trigger my dizziness. Like typically the point is you need to trigger that dizziness and then turn the head the other way or however they do that maneuver to move the crystal. Um, and so I was like, this isn't doing anything for me. And I hear it all the time from people that they were told they had BPPV. They did the Epley maneuver like 18 times and it didn't help. And they're going back again for another Epley maneuver. And I'm like, just stop going. If it didn't work in like two to three sessions, it's something else. It's not BPPV. And that's where I kind of want to dig in with you a little more. People are constantly overlooked. They're like me, right? I was told I had BPPV. Mm -hmm. Clearly I didn't. I made my way to functional neurology. Somehow I found it. And my first test was wearing those VNG goggles and looking at my eyes. And I was told, oh, you have a downward beating nystagmus. <laughs> and I was like, say what? <laughs> and so, I mean, we went on to be able to treat it. And, like, I mean, it was profound. Because dizziness can be very debilitating when you feel like, mm. you know, you're constantly rocking or rolling. Um so, yeah, so let's kind of dig into, for those people who've been told they have BPPV, Apley hasn't worked, they haven't made their way yet to a functional neurologist like you, you know, what, what are some things to look for and to ask questions of um, yeah. to move forward? Nope, no, I think that's something great. And I think to kind of start, um, what I think would be good is to kind of – describe what, what is really occurring when we say we are dizzy for the most part. Uh, and this is what I kind of always tell people is ultimately dizziness or disequilibrium, whatever you want to call it, is really a sensory mismatch, right? So my body is constantly interpreting the environment around me, right? My vision is giving me information, my inner ear is giving me information. My hearing is telling me if someone's next to me, behind me, my skin, smell, all of these different senses are ultimately integrating in my brain to tell me where am I in the world, do I feel safe, and how should I interact with it, right? And this is when you make the point, you are completely correct. When one's sense of self becomes disturbed, whether that be because of their inner ear, their eyes, their neck, a concussion, it can be wildly debilitating. And you can see mm -hmm. the development of cognitive disorders, so memory, processing issues, uh, mood disorders, anxiety, depression, uh, coordination issues. I mean, you can see the gamut, which I think is a big reason why it gets overlooked because people don't put those pieces together. But to take a step back, you know, going back to where, um, you know, BPPV being taken off the table we have to say there is a mismatch in here because what is happening is that as I move through my world, my brain is making a prediction and it's saying, okay, I'm walking over to the cabinet. Here's what I expect to hear from my feet. Here's what I expect to see from my vision. And here's what I expect to get from my inner ear and so on. And when I start to move towards that cabinet and I actually get sensory feedback in, the question is, does that prediction match what actually occurred. And if it does, 
I most likely won't be dizzy. And if it doesn't, that's where we start to get dizzy and nauseous, right? If we think about car Mm -hmm. sickness, if I'm reading a book, my eyes are telling me I am not moving, but my inner ear tells me I'm translating. And that feeds into nausea centers, and all of a sudden one gets nauseous. It's kind of like a signal like something is not right. Something is not fully lining up, right? And this is why some individuals with dizziness are like, you know what, you're right. It's like I'm motion sick 24-7. It's like I have this low-grade car sickness all the time. So really what needs to be done is we need to have it, and when you talk about the VNG goggles, it's a great test, is, is we need to have abilities to say, step one, does your inner ear work? Does the apparatus work? Does the nerve conduct a signal to the brain, correct? Yes or no? That's kind of step one. Two, can your eyes move appropriately? Can they track left to right, up and down? Can they quickly scan? How well do your eyes work and process visual information so that we know at least that sensor is working appropriately? And then the next thing is how well are the sensors from your neck and your feet and your spine telling you the appropriate information, right? So that's kind of the main thing is we would say, is the sensation coming in appropriate? Because if someone's got damage to their inner ear uh, via an infection or traumatic brain injury, we're going to be thinking, well, like, okay, no wonder there's a mismatch. The signal coming from the ear is not matching what the eyes and the neck are saying. So that's kind of step one is to actually look at all these sensory systems and see do they work or do they not work. And then we want to see how well does the brain integrate them. So what's very common in concussions is the sensors are fine. The eye itself is fine. The muscles are fine. The nerve is fine. The inner ear is okay. Um, The nerves and the feet work just fine, but the brain is having trouble piecing the information together. It's Mm -hmm. like, uh, have you ever played the game Telestrations before? No. It's a really fun game. So you have a word and you draw you write the word, you hand your booklet to the person next to you, they draw a picture of that word, and then that picture goes to the next person, the next person draws what they think the word is off of the person's picture, and it goes around the table. And it's such a fun game because you kind get like back to the end. like Pictionary, in a way. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And you get to the end and you're like, how did you get to that? Like, we started <laughs> at this, you know what I mean? And that's how I think about these things is that, these, these signals are going through multiple layers in the brain, and at some point it got screwed up. And right. now once it has gotten to my cognitive executive brain, I'm now perceiving that I'm floating, you know. And so that's what we have to be able to do is to break down everything along that continuum to say from the inner ear all the way to my frontal lobe, where is the processing error occurring? And if you can figure out where that processing error is occurring, you can make an intervention, and you can sometimes see changes in dizziness um, immediately, sometimes within minutes, sometimes within hours, days. Um, it's pretty cool if you can kind of – I also describe the patients as like those old uh, World War II phone systems, you know, right, where you plug the wire yep. in to talk to here, and then you plug here. And I kind of tell patients, I'm like, it's like someone let their kids just scramble that thing, right? And we have to just <laughs> take each thing out and find which plug does it go back into. And if you get it in the right plug, people are like, oh, my God, I feel amazing. 
you plug it into the wrong yeah. area and they're like, oh, my God, I want to throw up, right? And I'm sure you experience that, yep. that things can yep. turn on and turn off literally like a light switch. And, I mean, I, I like to kind of, like, equate it. I use the computer analogy a lot. So when you're dizzy, it's like having 20 tabs open in, on your computer, right? You're trying to run Photoshop and Explore and iMovie all at the same time. Your computer can't yeah. handle it. Um, and I, I say it's very similar. And when we got my dizziness under control, I was three years out when I found functional neurology. I'd been suffering for three years. When we finally got the dizzy under control, slowly everything else started to get better. The cognitive, the memory, the brain fog, right? So, like, when your body is trying so hard to keep you upright, even though it's dizzy, like it doesn't know where you are in space, there's no energy for anything else. And mm-hmm. so I think that's the missing link for so many people. Mm-hmm. No, I, it's, it's so true. And you see it time and time again. And there's, a, there's actually a, a great quote that someone had put up there. Um, that actually was from uh, Dr. Ted Carrick. For, and for those who don't know, that's kind of the, you could say, the godfather of functional neurology. But that, in essence, the whole point of the brain is to be able to experience your senses and anything above that is just like gravy, right? Anything else like appreciating music, having a conversation, being able to do work, all of that is just the icing on the cake because really if those other systems don't work, they're going to take priority. And that's what I tell patients. I kind of describe it as say, let's say balance reflexes are the chores of the household that need to be done, right? So mowing the lawn. And your frontal lobe or your executive brain is the parent that goes to work to pay the bills, right? If they come home after a long day and they have to mow the lawn, they're going to become exhausted, right? Versus if, you know, the the kids are doing their chores during the day and the parent can come home and just get the stuff they have to have done, they have so much more bandwidth. And so like you said, when you start to fix these things, it's like the brain can just say, thank God I don't have to deal with all those other tasks. I can, know, I can now go back to higher functioning things like my job, like enjoying being in a social environment, creating goals, being engaged with people. Um, you see it time and time again, um, and it's pretty fascinating. But like I said, it's, it's unfortunate because these things get missed and these connections don't get made, and so people get put on, um, you know, psychotropic drug after psychotropic drug and treating the depression and anxiety, not that yeah. there isn't a time and a place for medication, those things, but it's, it's looking deeper under the surface of why is that executive brain struggling and working so hard? Uh, and I actually love your analogy, and I use that analogy with my patients, is the idea of running multiple computer screens and systems. And this is where, like, you have someone walk down a hallway and then you say, hey, do arithmetic while you walk, and, you, and they fall, right, or they freeze, and you look at their brain's ability to do multiple things has gone out the window because they're so focused on not falling. Uh, so, yeah, we see that every day. Yeah. So, okay, so we've kind of talked about dizziness, types of dizziness, how it can affect us. Um, 
let's talk a little bit about how you work with a patient. Um, I know you do week-long intensives if someone's coming from out of town or someone's local. You can, you know, uh, set up different, different schedules for people. Um, but tell us a little bit about what working with you is like. Yes, definitely. Um, well, you know, we got mimosas for the parents as we work with their kids, give them some Bloody Marys. Um, no, so we, um, yeah, so a few things. So like you said, we have, um, so we have a lot of patients, uh, you know, in the Denver, Colorado area. And then we also have a lot of patients, um, from outside the state and even sometimes outside the country. And, and really step one with everyone is a detailed thorough examination. Uh, I know our examination and I know a lot of my colleagues examinations are, can be anywhere from like two to four hours. Right, and the whole point of that examination isn't just to check a box, like unfortunately happens at a standard healthcare office. Of let's just make sure you don't have a stroke and a tumor. Everything else is grossly normal. And honestly, examination of most dizziness patients, you could say, is normal. And that's the problem. They go to to medical neurologists, or, or I don't even say medical neurologists. They go to other healthcare providers, and they just say, well, everything looks, yeah, it looks pretty good. You know, but we look at everything kind of with a fine-tooth comb of saying, you know, between left and right and, and even function. So it starts with a really detailed, hist- or detailed history, and then we do a variety of diagnostic tests. So kind of like you mentioned, we'll do the goggles or the VNG. This helps us look at a ton of inner ear and visual reflexes. We look at balance testing. Uh, we pretty much kind of look at all those things that we talked about from the inner ear and the eyes all the way up to how your brain is perceiving it. And that really helps us to localize where the issue is. Um, we also, and we didn't touch it, we talked about it a little bit, some of these cases can sometimes also be uh, vascular, so issues with blood flow. So we also mm, have testing right. where we can have an idea of how well is someone regulating blood flow to their noggin. Uh, and so that's kind of step one. So whether it's someone coming from out of state or in state is we need to figure out where this dizziness is coming from. And then after that point, we, we put together a plan. So usually when I have patients who live in town, we can do it a little bit differently. We can be flexible, right? So if they live, you know, 20 minutes away, um, a lot of times what we'll do is patients will come in multiple times a week for anywhere from an hour to two hours and we'll do intensive therapies to try to start working on where their deficits are to improve the dizziness. Now, that's not always doable with patients from out of state, and that's where a lot of times we'll do what are called intensives. And and I actually think just in general, intensives when it comes to dizziness, I think actually work really well. There's a lot of people in our profession who do intensives, and I think they can be great. I I personally think certain cases, I don't think they work as well as doing it other ways, but dizziness is something where I think it works really well, and that's where patients will come in. Day one, like I said, is mostly testing, and then we'll sit down, we'll go over all the data and everything we found, and then we'll, I mean, the patient will be there from sunup to sundown. You You know, we'll usually do about three to four hours of therapy, uh, and then sometimes we'll do a ton of passive therapies in between. But the goal is to 
harness the power of neuroplasticity. So a lot of people probably hear yeah. that and they've been to traditional vestibular rehab and they're like, that sounds terrible. Why would I want to go do vestibular rehab three hours a day, five days a week for a week or two? Like I couldn't even handle once a week. But the big difference in the functional neurology field is that we are, if, if we are successful in finding where that error is, we can find therapeutic exercises that actually start to relieve dizziness relatively quickly, like within a day or two. And then what we're doing is we're driving plasticity in that. What I mean by that is that we're creating new, stronger signals. So, you know, if you do an exercise once or twice, someone might, you know, feel better with their dizziness. But if you don't continue to drive that pathway, it's not going to become permanent. If you look at the research around neuroplasticity, um, it's, like six to 12 weeks, multiple hours a day, five days a week to actually show that these connections get made. So we really need frequent, the right amount of frequency and the right amount of intensity. And so what we do is we'll work with individuals for a week or two, find the things that are really working to fix their problem, and then create an at-home program that they can continue to do weeks to months afterwards to make sure that they not only remain symptom-free, but that they also create permanent connections so that as they discontinue the exercises, there's less likelihood that it comes back. Uh, and that's really mm -hmm. the big difference than traditional vestibular rehab where they kind of say, okay, walking through stores makes you dizzy. Eh, we're not going to figure out why. Just go walk through stores until you don't get dizzy anymore. Just do it right, for six months right. and your brain will eventually habituate it, hopefully. Um, and that's a pretty miserable way to do rehabilitation. It's pretty hard to get people to come back and uh, to want to continue to do exercises because it makes them very symptomatic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dr. Maynard, this has been such a wonderful conversation. We're just about out of time. Um, so I want to make sure we mention how people can find you. You are at Integrated Brain Centers. And they are welcome to book a complimentary, I believe it's a 15, 30-minute consult, phone consultation with you. Um, and they can find that at integratedbraincenters.com. So tell us a little bit more yep. about that. Yep, yep. They can find us there. Um, we also on Facebook and Instagram, also at um, Integrated Health Systems and Integrated Brain Centers. And then you can follow me as well at uh, Dr. Perry Maynard um, on Instagram as well. So multiple kind of avenues we're always trying to put out. We put out a ton of educational content, so free webinars um, on topics far beyond dizziness, but definitely we talk a lot about dizziness. Um, you know, there'll be links to YouTube channels. So we got a lot of great free educational content for patients as well uh, on our website, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today and talking about such a complex um, subject. I think we covered a lot of ground in the past half hour. So thank you so much for being here, Perry, and sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me, Amy. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. Just another huge thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers, Schedule your free consultation online at integratedbraincenters.com.
And just a reminder, you can find all previous podcast episodes. We have over 230 episodes, and you can find those on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or directly at facesoftbi.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer, and also join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors and caregivers. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it for a $5 a month membership with Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash Amy Zellmer. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you in the next episode.